0: All right. Bonus episode of Pod. No need to do a lot of preamble here. This is the second part of the episode with Rob Sheffield, in which I play a game where I have either two back-to-back entries on the Rolling Stone 500 Critics Albums Ball time list at Rob, and he finds the connection between them. And uh, this one is really good. Um, I think we really hit, we really get in the zone. Uh, I'm going to spoil the one at the end, which is uh, Sade and Pavement. And uh, we're both hardcore Pavement heads and just really, really throw down on that. So uh, if you are a Pavement fan, you are in for a treat. Uh, Again, uh, this is an episode only for special people like you who have subscribed. Please tell other people that they should subscribe. You know, then they'll get to hear this too. All right, let's do it. Um, let's let's try another pair. Here's um uh, number two eighty-eight and two eighty-nine. Uh the first modern lovers record, which I guess is the only one. Uh and two eighty-nine is uh post by Bjork. Wow. Wow, very interesting. Both very um <laughs>
1: That's very, very interesting. Both very uh quirky eccentric vocalists with a very, is that an adult or is that a child sort of voice? A weirdly disturbing sort of conflation of adult and childlike sensibilities, you know, like um Bjork and Jonathan Richmond both are, you know, they both beg the question, why are they singing like that? And uh <laughs> <laughs> and and they're both designed to hit people like that. They're they're both artists who like really like catching you off guard that way. Um, the, the Modern Lovers. Well, first I have to say there are there are a lot of Modern Lovers records. If you count the Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers records, um, that one obviously it's like very different and very special because it's you know uh, recorded, it, it, you know in, in a bubble in 1971, and it doesn't come out on record until five years later. But uh, some of the other albums that Jonathan Richmond recorded with that band of the Modern Lovers, there's one called the Original Modern Lovers, which is uh, a lot of. I mean, it's the same band and a lot of the same songs, but it's piano instead of organ. I have to say, I um, love that record a lot. Some of the some of the songs I like better on that one. But anyway, I digress. I love that modern record, that Modern Lovers record. Uh, I feel it very deeply. That's a record that. I felt very deeply as a kid, and I'm always kind of pleasantly surprised that it still feels so accurate to describing my state of mind um long after the point where I might have expected that it would have been feasible I might have outgrown it um and and post is a record that's just you know that's just a a, just a, a deeply phenomenally. Awesomely weird record that that never stops sounding weird to me. It, it that's a record that I've never Also her most normal record. And it's maybe her most normal record. Also, in terms of her, you know, it's sort of like what we were saying about Janet Jackson and Rhythm Nation before that Bjork this it's fair to say she knew that this one would be a hit in a way that she wouldn't have been able to say that about Debut a few years earlier, or a Homogenic a few years later, or God knows Vespertine a few years you know, that's that's by far my most played Bjork record. Um and I'm probably pronouncing all these titles wrong. Um Post was a record where, you know, she's making, yeah, by her standards, this is a very normal pop rock record, but it's really it's 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 really weird and very uh very alienating. She's taking a lot of really long uh, aesthetic gambles on this. Uh She's, she's playing a long game in a way that I, I really like and admire. Um, but it's funny because it's also, it's a very finessed record and very meticulously worked. Whereas the Jonathan Richmond record is this phenomenal band. His virtuosity is very underrated because they're just bashing it out. You know, like it 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 sounds like a really raw sloppy garage rock record because they're just bashing it out. But you know, you live with that record over the years or over the decades, and it's like, nope, that was like absolutely one of the best drummers in rock and roll, one of the best, you know, guitarists, organ players, bassists. They just, they absolutely, absolutely had it together on every sonic level. Those songs are so perfect. Uh, they're so from the heart. The uh, Modern Lovers, that, that album, it never fades for me. And it's weird because it seems like, would have been would have been understandable if it faded for me but also i'm from boston so like you you go up in boston and and you drive on route 128 and, and 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 i i thought that the modern lovers was this weird quirky local thing i was into until i went to college and like found out that they had a mystique in other parts of the country which i wasn't aware of at all um but like one of the very first things i did when i got my license was i went out on 128 playing roadrunner so i could you know drive on on route 128 like a red runner going faster miles an hour and in retrospect it's a little weird
2: one two three four five six.
0: associated that song with you that's like that's my first association with that song when i ever think of
1: it well man like i, I, I remember getting to karaoke it uh at at, at, at you know our, i'm not going to say the name because i don't want people <laughs> barging in once they open the karaoke speakeasies but you know like the karaoke place where they have stuff on in the book from uh from the internet so i um, trying to cover all my tracks here <laughs> but uh but the fact that they had like roadrunner as a as a selection. And it's also funny that it didn't have the words, it just had the backing track. And I was like, "Who?" you know, like I memorized those words, you know, when I was 16. And it's funny that, um, going through all those places in the song, you know, like it's, it's a song that's very, um, geographically specific in a way that I really love. Uh, I wonder if people from Iceland hear, you know, Bjork records that way, but, um, you know, th- this summer I happened to be, uh, in a car with Allie, she was driving and we were going through Boston. We were driving um, from, from Cambridge uh, through Boston. We were going South and we were driving on, uh, on, on the Arbor way, but we were taking like a specific, a a Jonathan Richmond song route. And it was like funny to be narrating that as we were driving. And just that sense of, of, you know, specific place that's in all over that, that modern lovers record. It's, it's, It's a really kind of like beautiful thing to have, is you know, like that. Lots of people who've never been to Boston, much less ever driven a car there, they have this you know geography mapped in their head, you know, because of uh, the way Jonathan Richman sings about it. And you know, I certainly have a map of Manchester in my head because of all the Manchester bands who've sung about Manchester. I've never been to Manchester, you know, like, and yet I feel like just listening to Smith songs alone, I have this, you know, this really detailed map in my head, you know, or the Beatles in Liverpool or Pulp in Sheffield, all these cities that I've never been to. But I feel like I've internalized them because of the way people sing about them. That's just a really beautiful thing that
0: music can do. I've had multiple people tell me over the years that they went to Manchester on tour specifically just so they could be in Manchester. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
1: Yeah. um, I had an experience a few years ago. I was driving cross country with uh, your friend and mine, the, the great and glorious Gavin Edwards. And uh, we were going through, uh, you know, we were driving from LA to North Carolina. So we're going through the Southwest, we're going through Arizona, and we see a sign for Winslow. And we're (laughs) like, oh, wouldn't that be funny? Let's take that exit. And we seriously thought that this was an incredibly clever and original idea. So we pull off the exit to Winslow, Arizona, and there's barely, there's basically no town there. So we stop into the gas station and just for fun to say like, hey, is there like kind of a downtown area? And the guy looks at me like. You're looking for the corner. And I'm like, oh,
2: like,
1: I guess we're maybe not the only tourists you've ever had that idea. And it's like the corner, it's, it, it, you go here, you take a left here. So we go there, we take a left there. And there's a little statue. It's the corner in Winslow, Arizona. There's a little statue of a sort of composite Eagle Jackson Brown figure. Clearly, they designed the statue so that neither Don Henley nor Glenn Fine nor Jackson Brown would be able to fight or sue each other over which one was in the statue. But you know, we have to wait to take our little selfie in the corner of Winslow, Arizona, <laughs> because there's, you know, a few other carloads of people who are just driving through and saw the sign and said, Hey, let's stop and take a photo in Winslow, Arizona. And there's nothing else in that town. You know, there's there's a motel where the sign says, a motel on a corner in Winslow, Arizona. Do, and, do
0: you know the Tori Amos song in the springtime of his voodoo? No. The opening line of that song is standing on the corner in Winslow, Arizona, and I'm quite sure I'm in the wrong song.
1: <laughs> what a great line. I love that.
0: <sighs> Good old Tori um, Amos.
1: She she was always in the right song at the right time. Um, but it it's wild that that, you know, it's like, well, I guess, people you know around Winslow's and are probably pretty used to people stopping by because of the song and it's the same thing with like you know the way that music has that connection to a place
0: uh let's do another one uh okay, okay. Can, can I take one more place in song
1: thing just because it popped oh, into sure. my head Go just because I'm talking to you and just because you probably did the same thing given you know that we're both big Sonic Youth fans, I'm particularly big oh, fans God, of yeah. '80s Sonic Youth. But one of the Delancey. very first things I did when I moved to New York was, yes, I went to Orchard and Delancey, and I really thought like there'd be something cool there. Man, there's like nothing there,
0: <laughs> and and especially for and, where it is, you feel like it would be more, you know, more of a thing. But no, it's just a random East Village block. Yeah, there was like an
1: optometrist, you know, with a billboard with glasses. And for a while, I was like, was that like a cosmic sort of vision of like, you know, these gigantic glasses like in the Great Gatsby? And I still it it's weird how, you know, like a few times a year I go past Orchard and Delancey and ask, why the hell was that in that song? But, you know, I always remember that intersection. There's a
0: few of them. And and obviously, like Murray Street being an album title. you know, And and that's just like, like, that's, that's a real boring street. (laughs) (laughs) uh let's do uh 441 and 442 441 is britney spears blackout which i'm sure you voted for and 442 the weekend beauty behind the madness that's a great combination because one is
1: an album i love i've memorized every second of it the other is an album i have never played i don't even like i didn't i don't know what the hits were from that album. Oh, so, I
0: mean, it's some of his biggest hits. Like, uh, I can't feel my face and the hills. Those are the two. Okay. So are, I know the songs, yeah, but like, but that's the thing that where one. it's
1: existence as an album is totally unknown to me. So like, although I know the songs uh, and, and like the songs, but it's, it's a thing where like one album is very much part of my interior, interior chemistry. <laughs> and the other, I'm like, wow. Like I, you know, well, voted for that. A lot of them. I'm um, I'm, um, Yes. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying anybody shouldn't like, you I know, mean, like,
0: he's, he's one of those things where I don't think people like really could have foreseen how big he would become when he, when he came on the scene and now he's really just one of the biggest stars there is.
1: Yeah. He's, and you know, like I, I, you know, I like the weekend. Um, I admittedly I had a, uh, sort of a setback with the weekend when he did that song. Um, the uh, like, uh, you remember the lyric? I mean, the like, yeah, I'm gonna like David Carradine myself. Like, <laughs> oh God, yeah. You're like it, that. I remember like, I, I I specifically remember like, um, being on a, a a internet social media thread with you. Somebody, a mutual friend of ours, was like texting about that that lyric, and I was like, ugh, oh, that is absolutely the stupidest lyric, and it's like really funny, and, and to go from like. It's so it's weird. So that was for a few years. That was my first association with the weekend.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and uh, how do you rate blackout relative to her other records? You, do you think that's her best one? I love it. Love it. Love it.
1: Um, I don't know if it's the best one. Um, It probably isn't the one with, uh, with the highest concentration of my favorite Britney songs. Uh, But in terms of an album as album, it's um it's a huge favorite of mine it's definitely like the one that is the weirdest sort of unified album statement despite the fact that nobody can explain how it happened um none of the nobody involved in the album was like let's make a good album let alone a great one all the producers in the record who clearly did not want to be associated with it so they were some like you know some diddly stuff from their bottom drawer that they like that they knew wouldn't be a hit. it's almost like they they gave her their most experimental stuff because they knew that it was a safe place to try an experiment because nobody would ever listen to this album because she was just absolutely presumed over oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm. Listening. Since I was 17, don't matter if I step on the scene or no slick away It's the the fill they still gonna put pictures of my dreary here in the magazine. If you want a piece of me? You want a piece of me? I'm this bad media karma, another day, another drama. Guess I can't see the harm in working and being. Mom, and with a kid on my arm,
1: I'm still an exception. And I you wanna be... The themes with this record is absolutely nobody who was engaged in it, like, wanted any association with it at all. Everybody treated this as an assignment that they really regretted saying yes to. They wanted to keep it as low profile as possible. They wanted to to basically give her a track that they knew wouldn't become a hit. And weirdly... Accidentally, with absolutely nobody in charge of it—not even Britney herself, who was barely conscious for much of the, the recording process—by all accounts, like it turned into this incredibly vivid, accurate, detailed, fantastic record where every song is great. um "Piece of Me" might be my very favorite Britney song of all.
0: Yeah, oh, I, think I mean that's that's, that's just, one
1: of your karaoke classics for sure. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Um, and it, I. I kind of think like, I mean, you know, I love a lot of Britney Spears albums. I love songs on all, all her albums. There aren't any Britney albums that where I don't like any of the songs, basically. Um, but that's a weirdly unified record where she's like, OK, my career's over. My marriage is over. Like people all over the world regard me as a laughingstock. I'm a total joke. Like nobody respects me or cares about me. Like my family sees me as a meal ticket. Absolutely nobody in my world has any like warmth or affection for me. Like she's she's like, I do not care. It's like, she is absolutely like the, the extreme punk level of defiance that she turns on and those like bizarre electro robot vocals that she's doing all the way through the album. Like maybe I know in part of my brain that it was all probably dubbed in syllable by syllable and and that, you know, that she was not even really all that involved, but to me, that that album it really like speaks to uh, a very specific mood of me against the world kind of defiance. It, it's funny that like that album always reminds me of David Bowie's Low, which is you know a, a record about going through the same kind of thing. You're going through extreme celebrity detox, uh, possibly some level of drug detox as well. Uh, certainly some major changes in your life, the end of a marriage, the end of your 20s, the end of a sort of ideal of pop success that you used to aspire to and now looks meaningless and wasted time to you. Like, And that kind of like defiance and, and alienation and, and submersion and that sort of electro ambience. to me, like David Bowie's Low and Britney's Blackout, those are basically like two sides of the same record. Mm. I, I a tape with one on one side and you know, low on one side and
0: blackout on the other would be kind of perfect. <laughs> uh, let's do a couple more. Uh, here's one that's might be a challenge. 105 Almond Brothers Band at Fillmore East. 106 Hole lived through this. Well, that's kind of fantastic. That's that's a very interesting
1: pairing. Um, Greg Allman, Courtney Love. They have a lot in common
0: as singers um i can kind of see them as a couple if you go if you're, they were somehow like at the right time
1: yeah certainly like uh, a man who marries share for nine days is certainly courtney love husband material <laughs> uh both people who um uh, it's it's fair to say uh, outlived their uh, their their possible life expectancy certainly lived to bury a lot of people who predicted their imminent demise um Certainly, people who uh, did not necessarily make a lot of friends along the way, people who did not necessarily um, uh, retain old alliances, uh, very interesting. But but it's funny because Fillmore East is such a Dwayne dominated record, and he had such an opposite sort of personality, to the point where like it sounds like almost like uh, Dwayne was the Kurt to 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 Greg's Courtney, you know, and and in, in many ways live through this should really be compared to the Almond brothers eat a peach because it's the post death album and you could tell that both for Dickie Betts and Greg Almond there's this that, that that there's intense grief about Dwayne Almond's death um even though obviously some of the tracks on that record are are were recorded while he was still alive but and and serious ambivalence about the fact that they're alive with him not alive anymore um so in many ways i guess Fillmore East and Live Through This are both records that came to seem very death saturated. Um
0: it I mean the thing with Live Through This that's so crazy is that it is like this morning record and it's called Live Through This, and yet it was done before he died. It came out like just after yeah, he died. And 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 you know, and
1: right before the bassist Kirsten Pfaff died. So like so she appears in the Miss World video, and then the Doll Parts video, it's it's Jennifer Finch from Hull, because, uh, and, and then, in, of course, in the Violet video, it's Melissa Aftermar, who took on as the permanent bassist, but like a record where, you know, like these calibrations of death are marked into the whole story of the record. that, um, and, and that Fillmore East, you know, like Dwayne very much alive and well in his spirit. So, so, uh, so beautiful and generous all over that record it's you know it's a record where he is just you know he's very beneficent even just like you know his his playing certainly but also even just his talking between songs is just like uh you know just his very benevolent blonde spirit but in 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 a way that you know you could definitely hear in in uh cobain as well um and with uh you know like very interesting. Cause like Fillmore East also like, like most people I heard Fillmore East after Dwayne Allman had died. So I thought of that as sort of like a epitaph to him. Um So yeah, it's weird that those records are both touched by death in a sort of like premonition-y kind of way, you know, that, that for both of them, there's, you know, there's Kurt who's about to die and Dwayne who's about to die. And also there's, you know, bassists, you know, Barry Oakley for the Allman brothers, Kristen Pfaff for whole, like, you know people in the story are on their way out in ways that 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 nobody knew at the time um and uh and and so weird sort of like grieving records but in like in a premonition kind of way
0: One more. This we're going to wrap on 199 and 200. 199 is Pavement, Slanted, Enchanted, and 200 is Sade, Diamond Life. Oh, my gosh. Well, what a pairing. What a perfect, perfect, perfect
1: pairing. Um, two perfect debut albums that set up a sensibility. Um, and, and because there had been singles before that, people had huge expectations for those debut albums yet they managed to exceed those expectations. Also records that seemed so perfect that you kind of thought that it was as far as they could go. You know, like, I mean, I love diamond life when it came out and I love slanted and enchanted, and, but I thought like, okay, this is the great album they had in them. I, I, I it was weird when Chardet put out a second album, just, you know, barely a year later. Um, it was also weird that it turned out to be so good. It was very much a, you know, Promise is, is very much her crooked rain crooked rain um, also like uh, charday and and pavement both bands that thrived on adopting this sensibility um, that uh, people had very recently seen as as a played out sort of sensibility and they're finding all these playful ways to use it that just nobody had envisioned a couple of years earlier Um and so it's it's really kind of remarkable. Like also, both hugely Roxy music influenced records. I, it's very interesting what a pair Sardine and Pavement make.
0: I feel like they both have a, a a certain elegance to them, but they're very they're completely different forms of elegance.
1: They're foxy to me. Are they foxy to you? Yeah. Also, <laughs> like records that are very cryptic in ways. Yeah, mystery. Yeah. Yes, the the mystery about them. I mean. It's mind-blowing how famous Chardet is without being the slightest bit famous at all. We know nothing about her life. She completely uh, succeeds at drawing the curtains between albums. You know, she makes an album, you know, every ten years or so uh, with her band that nobody ever notices exists, even though it's the same band, for person for person, that she's had together like for thirty-five years, and the band is called Chardet. It's kind of remarkable in itself that that this, you know, like five person band is like exactly the same personnel as it's been. What a story that would make, except they do such a great job of covering the story. And um, there's that same kind of mystery that, that went with um, you know, Pavement as well. When Pavement put out Slanted and Enchanted, nobody knew what they looked like. Um, nobody if even their knew names their names. aren't on the cover. Yeah. They wouldn't even put their names on the cover. Um, the first time Pavement ever took a band photo was when I was writing about Slanted and Enchanted for the Village Voice. Um, and it was a lead review in the Village Voice in in April 1992. And uh, if you had a lead review in the Village Voice, there was a big photo that went with that. And uh, this was communicated to Pavement, and Pavement's respect for the institution of getting a review in the Village Voice and a lead review in the Village Voice was such that Pavement allowed a photograph of them before a gig. So the first photo that anybody saw of pavement anybody at all was uh this photo that was uh over the, the village voice review of of uh slanted and enchanted um and,
0: and you, so you were responsible for drawing them into the light
1: yes or like you know getting them in front of the camera for the first time but uh you know i had seen pavement in 91 uh in the summer of 91 and you know it was weird to see what they look like. Was this, was this in Charlottesville? Yeah. And they looked honestly quite different from what anybody thought they were going to look like. Cause everybody had sort of formed a sort of stereotype of what that kind of, you know, like a uh, uh, dude ish uh, guitar noise band was supposed to sound like it was supposed to be, you know, kind of like uh, something kind of Steve Albiniish about the vibe of their personal space. And <laughs> Very much not. These like
0: nice preppy.
1: Yes, yes, but also like that kind of you know like, uh, you know, bemused smile, whether they were smiling or not. You know, there was like deadpan kind of thing, but also very evident smiling going on, um, in a way that you wouldn't necessarily have guessed from you know, perfect sound forever, which was the most recent one that we knew at that time. Obviously, there's lots of jokes on those early records, sleigh tracks, and demolition plot, perfect sound forever. but there there nobody was really prepared for pavement in person and that sort of unneurotic, unhostile, self defeating kind of vibe. It's 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 like weird. Uh it, it like very, very, very weird. Um and and it was not what anybody expected, really. And it was funny to see just sort of that impact and and that also that they were playing the slanted and enchanted songs which nobody had heard and it was like oh my god you know like you're hearing trigger cut for the first time and you know you're hearing trigger you know you you hear here for the first time and you know it's and and it was definitely like you know i listened to the tape of that show now and it's funny because i'm like yep i remember that moment and i remember that moment and i remember that moment
0: Um, my, my closest experience to that with them would be uh, when I got to see them play uh, "The Hex." When wow! They playing, uh, when they were touring for "Bright in the Corners," and it was just so immediately apparent that I'm hearing one of my favorite songs in the world. Amazing! You know, like the like the original Hex, not the not the yeah. version of Hex, not the Compromise second draft. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I like that one for, on its own terms, but the one that's like dearest to my heart is you know, yeah, yeah, the the, more, the, more I think they have the same like. title um but and but, then I mean, the hacks yes but sharday was also
1: like you know so mysterious uh you know much like you know nobody knew the names of the people on pavement but sharday's record company actually had to put a thing on the cover of diamond life pronounced sharday because you know if everybody would just say Sod, you know like which was a very 1985 kind of reference to make but you know uh even if you had heard, you know, like your love is King or hang on to your love, like sort of the advanced singles, like how overall perfect and and emotional and accomplished, but also diamond life and slanted and enchanted, very emotionally generous records in a way that kind of went against the image, you know, because pavement were very uh, emotionally open, emotionally playful, uh, emotionally generous in a way that, didn't go with the genre that they were sort of simultaneously emerging from and parodying and And then
0: then ultimately kind of defining.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe that's a kind of depressing thought in retrospect, but like certainly at the time people thought of your pavement as coming from that sort of, you know, big black school of, you know, uh, very uptight, um, earnest humorless sort of guitar bands. Also like Diamond Life and Slanted and Chain to both records where part of the fascination is the way they travel over time and the way that a band that seems like on one level, they have a pretty limited playbook. You know, They're, you can make a long list of the things that Pavement and Sade don't do. And yet the fact that what they do do um, resonates across time with people who were not at all like who the band was imagining when they were making those records. Um, And those are records that these bands were making in a very um, uh, self-consciously, emotionally alive state of mind. Whereas the genre that they were emerging from was like very like famously uptight, you know, like, like on, on a certain level, Chardet sounded like Spandau Ballet. But certainly after you heard Diamond Life, you wouldn't compare it to any Spandau Ballet records, you know, like Spandau Ballet were very uptight and, and, stingy and parched and closed emotionally much as I love them in a way that Chardet plainly were not, you know, like, uh, and, and and yet without giving their secrets away, still being very cryptic, Chardet nonetheless really invited you into their space in a way that pavement did. And that was, you know, that was very weird for both of those bands. So for both of those bands with what on some level might seem like a really limited musical menu, like they managed to, to to create something that invites a wide range of people from different ages, different generations, different cultures, different parts of the world. both also very, like, internationally huge records, which, you know, wasn't necessarily, uh, definitely, like, not necessarily imaginable for them at the time. Like, the pavement were so huge in Europe, and Chardet were so huge in America, like, must have been bewildering to both of them. Because, like, pavement, like, very much coming out of a, you know, very closed sort of uh, emotional, emotionally and geographically speaking, a very closed kind of, uh, American college town sort of, you know, environment, uh, not necessarily Northern California, but, you know, like you didn't necessarily, think it would play around the world the way it did. And same thing with, you know, Charday making what was a very, you know, on some level, a very uptight polished London record, but, you know, it's outlived so many other records from that time and that place that were, you know, ex- excellent records, you know, like, God, I love those Style Council records. I love those early Everything but the Girl records. I, I, you know, going a few years later, I, I love those Soul to Soul records. Lots of people were trying to make records that were like Diamond Life in the '80s, but you know, Charday they just did it in a way that really invited people all over the world and from different generations, different cultures, different personality types. It invited people into that world in a way that exceeds any expectations. And I think with Pavement and Charday, it's both that way that. Both those bands made records that were much more inviting than, than people even had a way of
0: realizing at the time. Uh, it, it's funny, you say you mentioned before, like the, you know, it's like a long <clears throat> list of things that pavement would not do. And it occurs to me, that, like a lot of the the thing that's made Stephen Malcolm's post pavement for interesting is that he kind of slowly goes through that list and goes, well, let's give that one a go. Let's give this a shy. Like the new record being like, let's do an acoustic folk record, you know, just do it straight ahead. Like no, you know, no quotations around it so much. And, you know, <laughs> it's almost like, like it, it pays off over time. So, like, things can have a novelty value if, if, if just that, besides the artistic value.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, Sade, like, also, like, the songs on that record that, you know, I mean, part of, like, what was immediately appealing to about that record was just, you know, like, the smooth sort of uh, forbidding, almost, surfaces of, of the Chardet record. It was so polished, so finessed we knew that we were never going to see her real hair once ever, you know, like (laughs) just kind of knew that. And, um, and, and, and yet, like even on that first record, you know, like there's songs that are so, you know, emotionally vibrant, you know, like songs that we can all sing without needing to, you know, to look at the titles. Your love is King is one of them. You know, when am I going to, yeah. When am I going to make a living? Um, You know, her fantastic version of, of, you know, why can't we live together? Which is a song that you know was very obscure at the time. Like nobody at the time thought that many years later Drake would sample it and turn it into <laughs> a mega famous song about about Hotline Bling. But uh, but it's a thing that we're like the things that you went to Charday for. They gave you so much more than 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 what you would have settled for. It was a record that delivered so much more than they could have gotten away with.
0: It occurs to me now that like a smooth operator that would have been a big hit when I'm, I'm a kid that comes around 84. Um, but that's probably one of the first songs that I on any level had kind of had some understanding. Oh, this is a sexy song. (laughs) Like that. That's my idea of what adults do. Yes. Yes.
1: Um, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Um, and the sort of, you know, And sort of the, you know, the affected jadedness of it, you know, like, you know, place for beginners or sensitive hearts, you know, it's a song that like affects this very worldly tone. But it's also, it's a very, you know, emotionally legible song, you know, like it gives you an emotional story, a character that you can relate to and feel something. And, 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 you know, you look at what was written about Chardet in in 1984, 85, the things that were written about pavement in 91, 92. you know they're not really alert to that playful side of it. Um, it's you know it 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 it's funny that that those records both had such a long life. Um, you know they 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 had so much heart as well as brains. You know like the elusive combo, but there's something warm about both those records that's that's you know really disconcerting. And and it's funny because you go to the second Charday record and you get super emotional songs like Maureen. Gosh, I can't even talk about that song, or I'm just gonna like um, make a mess on 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 Mike. Um, but like Maureen's, you know, like this is somebody she's like, okay, I did this, I achieved my comfort level, now I'm gonna take some risks emotionally. And it's, you know, just there's some astonishing songs on that second Charday record. I like all the Charday records personally. Uh just like I love all the pavement records. Um Have you seen her live? No, never. Or them, I should
0: say them, in fairness.
1: Yeah, I, it's funny how I go back and forth, but part of what I love about Charday is they very much want it that way, <laughs> that, you know, like, that, you know, if if the other people in the band wanted it to be known that there was a band, they would be in some flashier band. But Chardet has done such a brilliant job of, you know, keeping it focused on, you know, like keeping really the door closed, the room where the music is made. But, uh, the, you know, they're super... Uh, emotional and warm songs on all those records. It's funny that the warmth was something that was very easy to miss about Diamond Life when it came out and very easy to miss about Pavement when they came out. But I think that's ultimately what has given Chardet and Pavement
0: both such amazing longevity and universality. Uh, Just wrapping up on this one thing about the Pavement is that, you know, they have the, they have three, the first three records are all on this list And crooked rain came in third. Does that surprise you? Uh, yeah, it
1: surprises me. I mean, Wowie Zowie has been mega canonical for a long time. Uh,
0: it you know I I mean I personally voted my 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 top two uh the top two on my ballot were Slanted Enchanted and Wowie Zowie. I did not vote for Crooked Rain because I just figured I had I had to spread things around. That was enough.
1: Yeah, uh, I had uh, Slanted and uh, Crooked Rain in my top ten. And um, for me, uh, Crooked Rain, you know, it might be my favorite of favorites. Um, it might be the album I've just listened to most in my life, just in terms of sheer minutes spent with it.
0: <laughs> my, my, my version of that is uh, my number third vote, my, my third, my number three ballot vote, which was Octune Baby. Wow. Yeah, I can yeah, see that. Yeah. There's just nothing I've listened to nearly as much as that. Just like through the, the just over the years, it's just yeah, yeah, it's it's uh it's untouched by time that way.
1: Um, certainly with, with um with uh there's there's I guess with pavement and Wowie Zowie. Like I mean, I guess I, I wasn't surprised Wowie Zowie did better than than Crooked Rain in terms of like people who voted for it. People feel intense enthusiasm. Also, it's the stoner pick, and stoners are just—you know—they tend to be the ones who make canonical decisions because the stoner fan base is <laughs> the most hardcore fan base, you know, of of anything. That and,
0: and yet, like it's, it's funny. Like so, like it's funny. I'm not a stoner in the least, but yeah, there we go. Uh, you know, like a big stoner pick. It's, Maybe I'm I'm spiritually a stoner in some way. I've, I
1: have a friend who's a really huge Van Morrison fan
0: who just does not like
1: Astral Weeks very much, doesn't think it's a A level or even B level Van Morrison record, and is continually bewildered and often enraged by the fact that everybody likes Astral Weeks and and that, you know, Astral Weeks is always rated higher than Moondance on lists like these, polls like these. You know, like you can't accuse people of not paying enough attention to Astral Weeks, People, that album just hits people where they live, me included, that's my favorite. Um, but uh, it's, you know, I, I I totally get the frustration that they feel about it. it must be the frustration that I used to feel about Wowie Zowie. I eventually, like, you know, I came to love Wowie Zowie quite a lot. I think it's, uh, it's not as, I mean, it's definitely in my top 10 favorite pavement records, it, it's not to me it's, <laughs> of, of the five it's in the top well ten. but counting you know like it's not as good as pacific Trim or perfect sound forever uh it's not as good as as sleigh tracks or demolition plot so it's 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 maybe eighth place it's definitely i mean i i'm on the yeah, wrong side it seems,
0: it seems like it beat out terror twilight
1: it beat out terror twilight uh it uh it yeah it it uh well, okay. Let's say we that we count Westing. Let let's say that we count the EPs as, as as just Westing. Then it's um, then it's their fifth best album. It's to me, it's like crooked rain, slanted and enchanted, bright in the corners. Yes, I know I'm on the wrong side of history with that
0: one. Sumi, no, I, mean, I that love one's White Great. Boys. It's just like it's just like they it's just they only have you know it's it's they have a lot of records.
1: And then and then fourth is is Westing, uh, although I like those records as individuals better than the Westing compilation, but, 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 uh, but if I didn't like, then it would be perfect sound forever in fourth place, Pacific trim in, in fifth place, uh, demolition plot, sixth place. And it'd be a tight rate. No, wow. He's that would be in seventh. It'd be ahead of uh, Sleigh tracks. Um, and, it'd be ahead of like, whatever CD single that Kelly <laughs> <Yeah>. is on. <laughs> I, I apologize for the increasing ridiculousness and self-parody level of this sentence that I continue on elaborating sub by tortured <laughs> sub-clause. <laughs> uh, w- Wowie Zowie I love but it, to me, I don't love it as much as Bright in the Corners but the fact that Wowie Zowie is always rated higher than Bright in the Corners I mean, I get that's how that works. It's you know like the stoner's like the Stoners make these decisions and and bless them. I think the Stoners made a great decision. I
0: love Wowie Zowie. I I I, I, mean, I I think look. I think what you were saying before about different class is kind of how I feel about Wowie Zowie. Where it's like, yeah, this is probably as close as I can have to like to some kind of musical <laughs> explanation of who I am.
1: Yeah, it's it's I you know. I get that. And, you know, and I love it, you know, like wowie zowie is my wife's favorite. And so it's, you know, like, that's the thing where it's, that was honestly, that was one of the first things we discussed. One of the first questions I asked her was, was her favorite pavement album. When she told me wowie zowie, I was like, oh, I don't know. It'll never work. Like (laughs) she's a wowie zowie girl and I'm a crooked rain guy. Is this, is this going to be a match? But, but clearly, you know, like clearly it was. So like, but but she she hugely influenced, you know, and, and that was, you know, I've been living with, with Wowie Zowie for a few years at that point. And, you know, she like basically taught me from scratch to hear that album all over again. So a lot of the songs on it that I didn't like before, you know, she taught me to hear. She taught me to hear Kid A too. Like until I met Allie, I thought Kid A was not as good as Amnesiac, not as good as a few other Radiohead records. It was Allie who taught me to hear it as the best.
0: Well, I think we have completed an arc here. Thank you. You did great with this. this I is... I'm still adding subclauses to this ridiculous sentence. I apologize.
1: <laughs> it's my, it, and that's how the songs on different class are, right? You know, it's like one more line, one more verse, one more paragraph, you know? party. <laughs> oh, yeah. Drivers never knows when to shout up with those songs. That's part of why I relate. Um,
0: and how great is it that he has a new album out that's great? I've barely heard it. I I think it's just something that kind of fell through the cracks for me. And I I was thinking about this earlier today. It's like, Oh yeah, there's a Jarvis Cocker record that came out this year. I better circle back to that. You know, you go back to
1: it. It really holds up fantastically over time. And it's funny that it's a record that, that for me, listen to, I've, I've gone through like listening to it and thinking like, Oh man, I can't wait to hear this live to like, Oh man, this is just like a phenomenal record. Like, this is one like the whole world will celebrate to the thing where it became what it is, which is kind of like a accidental sound soundtrack to like a global disaster um and yet it's like that's a record that in terms of a record that has uh sustained my emotional well-being it, like this year it almost counts more as a therapy experience at, at, as opposed to an album yeah. it, 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 it it's not the album probably I've listened to just minute for minute the sheer volume of time. It's 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 not the most. But um that would probably be uh folklore or Dylan or Fiona, like, but uh but but the Jarvis record it 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 it's up there with those. But also in terms of like it's it's purely therapeutic for me. That's a record that like entered my world when I was planning on another 2020 and it's followed me through every day of the current 2020. And that's a record that says, okay here we are. We're in this. What are we going to do about it? It's a record that definitely reminds me to stop complaining and and live in the day that that awaits me. So it's a very therapeutic record for me.
0: He has a very like, like that droll baritone is is a very good sound, a soothing sound for for a dark time. Absolutely, you definitely you could tell that this guy grew up
1: with old ladies who remembered the Blitz. Like it, it's it's got to be that you know like that sort of like you know. Stereotypical old English lady, like, oh well, you know, like make do, carry on, you know, like keep calm. And- yeah, I
0: mean, really, it puts it in good, you know, that puts it in a good context because you know you think about, okay, you know, I can't really do some fun things I like to do, but you know, there's not really a good possibility of bombs coming from over. <laughs> yes.
1: Exactly.
0: So, like, that that would be much worse. That'd be much
1: more nerve wracking. Exactly. And, and and the whole thing of like, you know, the teen angst, you know, like you're surrounded by old lady saying like, Oh, mustn't grumble when I was your age. You know, we had doodle bugs or V2s or whatever, whatever they had, like the Jerry's were dropping on their head. um, But also like in terms of, you know, it a lot of the pulp records, there's a theme of like having been a, a, social wallflower for too long in life and you know to have a lot of social anxiety that has kept you from doing as much going out as you would have wanted to do and you always secretly suspect other people are having a much 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 better time than you and that they're always somehow secretly gathering in some place that nobody told you about and having so much fun like that kind of vibe that Jarvis had as an adolescent and and you know like very skillfully parodied as as a 20 something that's Something that's very tangible now for all of us of all ages, you know, in 2020. <laughs> so it's it's weird how like that sort of adolescent neurosis that he's held on to, It sounds like a very sane and and, and well adjusted response to uh, to a global crisis.